Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. My name's Julian Carl, CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group, and I'm pleased to bring to you today another content episode. So in today's episode, I'm going to share with you the six emotional leadership styles, which has really come about as a result of a client requesting us deliver some work for them. So the, the, the backstory to this particular content is that it is actually uh, us modifying some content by Daniel Goleman. Many of you will know he is rose to prominence around the whole emotional intelligence idea. And what we found is that more and more organizations are really wanting to explore the dynamics between how these six emotional leadership styles work and importantly, in what situations do they work and do individuals have natural tendencies and what can they do about that? So hopefully you get some some great value out of it. Once again, would love to hear what you think by heading over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. Uh, Until then, uh, happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. So welcome once again to another content episode of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really interested to give you this episode today because it's really come about as a uh, client request. So shout out to Justin. Uh, You know who you are because we were doing some work together and you specifically wanted us to explore this model. So what we're going to be looking at today is the six emotional leadership styles, which has really come about from Daniel Goleman's work. He's the author of a lot of the the emotional intelligence uh, books. He's really what brought that to prominence. And this is an excerpt taken from an article called Leadership That Gets Results. It was published in the Harvard Business Review in March, April 2000. So it's a, it's a pretty cool model because it allows you to do a couple of things. Firstly, you can reflect on your own style, uh, which comes to you naturally. You can reflect on the styles of those around you. And so when you're looking at the makeup of a leadership team, it allows you to provide a bit of a diagnostic in terms of where the team's strong, where the team's maybe not so strong. And importantly, it also enables you to think about situations because different situations need different styles. So it enables you to really think about, you know, well, what, what's the best style for me to adopt right now based on what's going on? And so I always like to think that the best leaders that I've ever had uh, any contact with are ones that have that ability to adapt, ones that have that ability to, to chop and change depending on the situation, plus depending on their understanding of what the person needs in their team. So like we've been doing with a lot of the content episodes, it is really based on some of the the training material that we have produced. So I'm going to put the offer out there again that if this is something which you'd like to get a printed copy of, happy to happy to share with you. So shoot me through an email at julian at synergengroup.com.au and I will make sure that that happens. So the first thing I want to do is just give you the overview of the six emotional leadership styles and they are coercive, authoritative, affiliative, democratic, pace setting and coaching. 
So each of them has a, a, a different application and shortly I'm going to go into which ones are actually based on the research a little bit more uh, successful than others but let, let, let's go through a little bit more detail what that means. So the coercive leader is really someone that is demanding immediate compliance. You probably describe the style in a phrase as you do what I tell you. What sits underneath that is the underlying emotional intelligence competencies of got a very strong desire to achieve they take a lot of initiative and they have quite a lot of self-control it works best when things are in a crisis when you need to kickstart a turnaround or with problem employees but this important thing to remember is that it will have an overall impact on the climate and so according to Goldman the coercive style has a negative impact on the climate. So the second one is authoritative and you probably you could describe the modus operandi there as you know it mobilizes uh, the team towards a vision. You could probably explain the style and a phrase by saying come with me. The underlying emotional intelligence competencies with this particular style self-confidence, empathy and a change catalyst. This style does work best when changes require a new vision or when a clear direction is needed. And according to the research, this is the most strongly positive in terms of its impact on the climate. Third style is affiliative. Modus operandi here is that it's all about creating harmony and builds emotional bonds. If you're going to describe this style in a phrase, it'd be very much, people come first. And the underlying emotional intelligence competencies that fit here are empathy, building relationships and communication. This works best when there's some sort of rift in a team or to motivate people during stressful circumstances. This does have a positive impact on the climate. Fourth emotional leadership style is democratic. And this is where the leader is really trying to forge consensus through participation. If we had to describe this style in a phrase, it'd be very much, what do you think? What sits underneath that in terms of the underlying emotional intelligence competencies is the idea of collaboration, team leadership, and communication. This always works best when you are looking to build buy-in or get input from variable employees. And like uh, the previous one, this does have a positive impact on the overall, on the climate. Fifth style is pace setting. And this is where the leader is very much about setting high standards for performance. And this style could be described a, a bit as do as I do now. The underlying emotional intelligence competency here are very much about conscientiousness, a drive to achieve, and initiative. This style works best when you're wanting to get a quick result from a highly motivated and competent team. What can happen though in this situation is it can have a negative impact on the climate because not everyone's able to keep up with the pace setting leader. And so the final emotional leadership style is coaching. And this is where it's all about developing people for the future. The style and a phrase is very much try this. The underlying EI competencies are very much developing others, empathy and self-awareness. And this style always works best when you're wanting to help an employee improve their performance or develop their long-term strengths. This does also have a positive impact on climate. So the premise of this uh, sort of body of work is that leaders really need the ability to move through these styles. And studies have shown that the more styles a leader exhibits, the better. And there's four in particular that have the very best impact on climate performance. 
So these are the authoritative leader, the democratic leader, the affiliative leader, and the coaching leader. The most effective leaders, they can switch between these as needed, based on the situation, based on the person. Now that may sound daunting, but if you think about the best leader that you've ever come across, highly likely that they are able to adapt. Now the, these best leaders, they, they don't just mechanically match their style to fit a chick checklist, they're far more fluid. They do this through practice. They do this through making sure they are present and mindful and focused on what's actually going on in the situation they're in at that particular point in time. Now, there, there are some leaders who, for example, they can read in the first few minutes of a conversation that a talented but underperforming employee has been demoralized by an unsympathetic, do it the way I tell you manager, and they need to be inspired. Or that a leader might choose to re-energize the employee by asking about her dreams and aspirations and finding ways to make their job more challenging. So leaders who have the ability to switch between these particular styles are going to be more effective in driving performance. They are going to get a better result for you. So for the listeners out there, I'm going to encourage you to start thinking about as we go through these styles in a bit more detail, and, and we'll do a little bit around the emotional intelligence as well because they, they, they fit quite closely together. What is going to give you the best result as a leader to get the most out of your team? What support do you need to provide to your team and what leadership style does your team need from you? So I wanted to give you a bit of an idea in brief around uh, the emotional intelligence piece because they do tie very closely together and it's highly unlikely that if you're not demonstrating any level of emotional intelligence, then you'll be able to switch and understand the different leadership styles. So in terms of you know, looking at the idea in brief of emotional intelligence, research has shown that the most successful leaders have strengths in the following competencies. First of all, they're self-aware. That is, they understand why they do things the way they do them. And they understand the impacts they have on other people. Second one is self-regulation. So this is really where you have the ability to manage your emotions so that you're not having a negative impact on people, that you're having a positive impact on those around you. And it's interesting if you think about the way that people do self-regulate, many people will say, oh, you know, just take a deep breath before you answer that or just reread that email before you send it. And Or some people will go to the gym or do yoga or do Pilates or have a glass of wine or take the dog for a walk, whatever relaxes them. And what, they, what they're doing is a way of self-regulating their emotions and just, just they do this when they're either in uh, highly stressful situations or they, they're aware that something needs to be regulated and managed. The third one is motivation. This is really about asking yourself what, what motivates you. Are you one of these people that's intrinsically motivated? Are you someone that's motivated by career, by money, by recognition, by significance? What are you actually motivated by? And importantly, what's your team motivated by? The fourth emotional intelligence competency is very much about empathy. You know, that awareness of others and recognizing it when it when it's there. I think a lot of leaders right now are are struggling with the a lot of the ideas about maintaining the balance between the personal and the professional life. And in many cases, you know, they're, they're, they're becoming harder and harder to separate through technology. And in the programs I run, I often ask people, well, how much of a relationship do you want with your with your team? Do you want to be friends with them on Facebook? Some people are quite happy to do that. Other people are adamant that they're not going to, and then there's everything in between those. 
So it's really about you having that level of empathy, understanding the people in your in your teams and, and, and recognizing it. And the other, the last one is social skill. And that's really the idea that, you know, how well do you interact with others? So again, this plays out in a lot of the training we do that uh, we, we, we really foster and encourage a collaborative environment in training programs in that I ask people to talk to different people. I ask them to, you know, stand up and, and walk around and find someone they haven't spoken with and continue to foster that. I think what it does is it builds an element of social skill on top of the skills people already have. So they're the five areas, I think, which emotional intelligence uh, really plays out. And what we're going to do is just dig a little bit deeper in, into that so that you, you've got sort of the, the, the foundation for these six emotional styles. So when it comes to self-awareness, three key things there. The first is this idea of emotional self-awareness, which is the ability to read and understand your emotions as well as recognize their impact on work performance, relationships. Second key thing to think about is, do you have a, the ability to accurately conduct a self-assessment? So do you realistically evaluate your strengths and your limitations? And the third key point here is this idea of self-confidence. So are you a strong, self-confident person? And I know that we often have this challenge between confidence and arrogance. But I think, are you, are you self-confident? Do you have a, a strong sense of self-worth? So these are the three key things to be thinking about when it comes to self-awareness. When it comes to self-management, it's about self-control. This is where you have the ability to keep your disruptive emotions and impulses under control. It's about trustworthiness. Do you consistently display a high level of honesty and integrity? Conscientiousness. Do you have the ability to manage yourself and your responsibilities? Do you have that skill of adaptability? The skill at adjusting to changing situations and overcoming obstacles? Do you have that achievement orientation? That is the drive to meet the internal standard of excellence that you set. So people that have been through my programs know that one of the flip charts I'm most passionate about is three words, raise your standard. And I often talk about that, that whatever level of leadership you're at right now, all you need to do is one little thing and that raises your standard. You combine that with a, one of the most recent flip charts I've been spending a lot of time thinking about and working on, which is just focus on just one thing. This idea that just one thing will make you better, will raise your standard. I think you tie those two together and you're, you're starting to establish this internal standard of excellence, which I think all leaders should, should know. They should have their own standards. And the final piece in the, the self-management section is really about initiative. Do you have a readiness to seize opportunities? You see something and you go for it. So the third area is really about this idea of social awareness. And this is where you have high levels of empathy, you know, you're very skilled at sensing other people's emotions, understanding their perspective and taking an active interest in their concerns, that you've got a high level of organizational awareness. This is an interesting one because every business has its internal politics. And so how effectively do you navigate through them? How effectively do you deal with decision makers? And the other one to think about is your service orientation. You know, the ability to recognize and meet customer needs. You know, I'm pretty excited. This is the, um, the third podcast that I've recorded today. Uh, so far, I've done two interview ones. One, I was out on site 
uh, with an author that's that, that's coming up soon and another one I was uh, recording via Zoom with someone who's uh, based up in Brisbane and the one I was recording this morning was with uh, Jackie Scammell and she's written a book about um, customer service mindset and it's really this idea about you know understanding the small things that can make a really big difference to customers and so I think now more than ever we need to have that focus on our customers and it was really interesting because in the interview that I just did with uh, Elaine Jobson, so that's another that's another podcast coming up. She's the the CEO of Jets Fitness. It's a very interesting interview that one. She talks about Richard Branson as she had a, used to work for him, and one of the things that he's very uh, well known for is that uh, the thing you see on LinkedIn where you know you look after your people and uh, your people will look after your your customers. And so the flavour of, of this uh, is, is front and centre in my mind in that if, if you focus on your customers, you, you will get the results that you're looking for. But if you expect your customers just to be there, it's not enough anymore. There's more and more people that are, that are wanting your customers. So I think that, 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 that piece about service orientation is really important. And then the next section is all about social skill. And there's, there's a few emotional intelligence competencies which, which fit within that bracket. The first one is about visionary leadership. So this is where uh, you have the ability to take charge and inspire with a compelling vision. You know, influence, do you have the ability to wield a range of persuasive tactics? This could be your language, this could be the way you conduct yourself, this could be the way you build relationships. Do you have the ability to develop others? Do you have the to bolster their abilities through feedback and guidance? So you, do you take an active role in developing your people? And it's about communication. How good are you at listening and sending clear, convincing and well-tuned messages? Are you a change catalyst? Are you proficient in initiating new ideas and leading people in a new direction? Now, this can be difficult for, for people that uh, are in the front line because they're, they may feel as though they're bound by the rules and the hierarchy in your organization, which is bigger than them. I always ask people to focus on what, what can they control right now? What's, what's in their area of control? And that's very much your team. So what sort of change can you drive through your team? Conflict management, which is really about the ability to de-escalate disagreements and get resolutions. How good are you at building bonds? And that's all about relationships. And again, people will know me that uh, been through my programs will, will tell you that um, one of the first principles of leadership that I talk about is relationships are a key to your success. So how good are you at building relationships? And in the next content episode, I'm actually going to be focusing in about this idea of relationships and some of the things we can do to really strengthen those relationships. And the final one here is all about teamwork and collaboration, which is that idea at promoting cooperation and building teams. So how do you do that? How good are you at that? So that, that gives you a pretty good overview of the whole emotional intelligence piece. I think it's an area where more and more leaders should focus their attentions. Uh, and the, the, the feedback that we've been getting from the emotional intelligence days that we've been running has been, has been really strong. And I think that's a reflection that the, the business community is ready for it, the business community wants it, and more and more leaders are realising that if they want to get the most out of their team, they've got to be more switched on. So now I'll give you a bit of a background in uh, emotional intelligence and some of the key, key things we need to look at. 
let's go a bit deeper into these six emotional leadership styles. And the first thing is uh, I want to give you a bit of a, a snapshot of the idea and practice in how they work in practice. So if we look at the first one, which is the coercive style, this is the very much as you know, do what I say approach. This can be most effective when it's a turnaround. Uh, for example, you know, a natural disaster or when there's a, a really serious problem, which has occurred with problem employees. And so I, I often think that, you know, leaders need that ability to say, oh, no, sometimes leaders need to make a decision. This is, this is what we're going to do. Problem is, in most situations, though, coercive leadership inhibits the organization's flexibility and dampens employee motivation because they're always waiting for the leader to say, do what I say, do it this way, do it now. And I don't really think that lends itself to that harmony that, that organizations are looking for when it comes to their leadership. The second style is the authoritative style. And this is where the leader takes the come with me approach. They take the overall goal and they give people the freedom to achieve, to think about how they're going to achieve it. This style always works especially well when a business is going adrift. And the reason that, that it works well is that it engages people. It engages the team to start to provide their input. And uh, you know, I've, I've been doing a little bit of reflection around around these these styles and you know naturally where I, I seem to fit. And I think that one of the things where I can say that I've personally demonstrated this style is, is what you're listening to right now. So I had the idea of a of a synergy and leadership podcast, but the bulk of how it's all come about is all been by Ali, who's who's uh, part of our team and she does all the production side of things. For example, I'm recording this on a, a blue Yeti mic using a program called Audacity. Ali did all of that. So it's a really interesting way, I think, that what happens when you when you get people involved, just paint the bigger picture and get people involved, that it gives them the opportunity to really be a part of it and take ownership of it. And I think that makes the end result so much better. The next style is the affiliative style. And this is where the, you know, it's all, all about the people come first attitude. So this can be useful when you're building team harmony or increasing morale. But sometimes it's exclusive focus on praise can allow poor performance to go uncorrected. So when the issues arise, these type of leaders may not necessarily be willing to have those difficult conversations. So again, it's about understanding the style versus understanding the situation. The next one is the democratic style. So this is where you, you give workers a, a voice in decisions. The democratic leader always looks to build organizational flexibility and responsibility and get them to help generate new ideas. But sometimes all you have is the is everyone putting in their two cents worth. You have meeting after meeting after meeting, and sometimes you never get the decision made. This can be trouble because people might start to feel that there's a there's not enough leadership actually occurring. So whilst it's good to occasionally be able to you know have that democratic democratic style and get the input, it does need to be balanced. The pace setting style. So this is the leader that sets very high performance standards and, and likes to think that they exemplify them. And so it does have a positive impact on employees who are self-motivated and highly competent. But sometimes other employees tend to feel a little bit overwhelmed because the leader's always expecting more. They're always wanting more. And sometimes when it's not going the way that leader wants, they can they have a tendency to take over. 
And the, and the final style in practice is very much about the coaching style, which is where you focus on their personal development rather than immediate work-related tasks. So this works very well when uh, an employee realises that they may be not so strong in a particular area and they want to improve. But if they're resistant to changing their ways, this style is not going to work. So I'd like you to think about, as you reflect on these six styles, which ones do you naturally have? Which ones do you know that you can go to when you need to? And the reason I'll ask you to think about that is that the more styles you master, the better. In particular, being able to switch between the authoritative, the affiliative, the democratic and the coaching, that is going to give you the best organizational climate and the best way to get the most out of your business. So now that I've given you a bit of a insight into each of the styles uh, in practice, I want to give you some more in detail. And I think this is important for you to, it will increase your awareness and increase your ability to self-reflect and, and consider where, where you, you fit. So if we look at the coercive style, it's, it's where that you, you're, you're really wanting to not allow flexibility. It's where you as a leader are really coming down with a top-down decision-making and what that can do is kill new ideas on as that are being generated by people. Your team might end up feeling so disrespected, they think, oh, I won't even bring my ideas up because I'll be shot down. People won't necessarily have a higher level of responsibility because they feel as though they're not able to act on their own initiative and they lose their sense of ownership and they feel little accountability for their performance. You can already, I think you're already starting to get a sense of why this is a problem. And some people become so resentful that they blatantly will say, you know, I'm not going to help. And I think that is, that is a trouble when you're a leader, when, you, when your team are thinking, no, I'm not going to help you. The coercive leadership style also has a, a damaging effect on any sort of reward system. You know, most high performers, they're motivated not just by money, they seek you know, work satisfaction or career ambition, whatever it, whatever it is. And the coercive style erodes that and it erodes your ability to motivate people. And you can't motivate them because you're not, you're not showing them how what they do fits into a grand shared mission. You're very much just telling them that it's, it is the way it is. So people start thinking, well, you know, why do I do what I do? How does it all matter? And so the, the, the disengagement really starts because this style of leadership, which is just constantly at them telling them every single way it needs to be done. But in hearing that, you might assume that it should never be applied. But the research that Goldman went through is that sometimes it works really well. And that's where we need to give you an example. So this is where a, a, a senior leader was brought in uh, to change the direction of a food company that was losing money. And his first act was to have the executive conference room demolished. And the reason he did that was to him, the room looked like with its big marble table, it looked like a tech on the Starship Enterprise. And it symbolized the tradition-bound formality that was paralyzing the company. So by getting rid of the room and the subsequent move to a smaller room sent a message that the division's culture needs to change quickly. So a very simple example of how by, by taking, taking control and just doing it, that it's an indicator that something might not be right. But I do recommend that you only use a coercive style if you are very, very skilled at it and with extreme caution, because the chances of it being positive uh, are small, so it's really going to get down to your ability and skill. 
So try to understand it. Try to think about where you've seen it in play. I think that one of the greatest ways to learn anything about leadership is to think about the leaders that we've worked for, try to pick apart what they've done well, what they've not done well. And I can think about one of my leaders in particular, you know, a little man by the name of Dion. And you know, he would have to be one of the worst leaders that I've ever ever worked for. And he's very much this type of leader. And I don't think that he was able to get the best out of me. I don't think he was able to get the best out of the people that worked for him. And that's, that's disappointing. That's disappointing. So the next style is the authoritative style. And this is where all of Goldman's research indicates that this is the most effective and it drives up every aspect of climate. So if we look at clarity, the authoritative leader is a visionary that they motivate people by making clear to them how their work fits into the larger vision for the organisation. People do not want just to come to work. I believe people want more. They want to feel a sense of contribution. They want to feel as though what they do makes a difference. They want to have a sense of purpose. And people that work for those type of leaders who exhibit the authoritative style understand what they do and why it matters. Authoritative leadership maximizes commitment to your organization's goals and strategies. Again, this is a sense where you want everyone aligned. If you are if you are running your team and people are not aligned, and I'll pretty much guarantee you you're not getting the most out of them. You're not going to be hitting the performance benchmarks that you want to be hitting. And it's because people aren't all working in the same direction. And what the authoritative leader does is they frame the individual task with a grand vision. They define standards that revolve around that vision. When they give performance feedback, whether positive or negative, it's all about how that performance furthers the vision. You know, they, these type of leaders, they, they set standards for success and everyone knows what they are. An authoritative leader states the end, but generally gives people plenty of leeway to devise their own means. They give people the freedom to innovate, to experiment, to take calculated risks. This is where you're harnessing your team. This is where you're getting the most out of the team. And for the listeners out there that have a highly experienced workforce, and I know some of you do, if you're not harnessing their, their knowledge, despite what's going on with their attitudes, if you're not harnessing their knowledge, you are not getting the most out of them. The authoritative leader style works well because it works in almost any business situation. But it works really well when a team or a business isn't running as well as it could be because you can chart a new course and you can get people following you. There is a limitation though. And if that's, for example, you're working with a team of experts or peers who are more experienced than you are, they may see you as pompous or out of touch. So be conscious of, again how you're going to inspire people through painting a, painting a compelling picture and painting a compelling vision of where you want the team to go. So moving on, the affiliative style, it's, this is one where if the coercive leader demands do what I say and the authoritative says come with me, the affiliative leader says people come first. This leadership style revolves all around the people and it's all about the value individuals and their emotions rather than tasks and goals. The affiliative leader always looks to keep employees happy and create a sense of harmony amongst them and they manage by building strong emotional bonds and then reaping the benefits. When that happens, people have a high level of loyalty. Generally, this style also has a good impact on communication. People who like one another talk, they share ideas, they share inspiration. And what this style does is it drives up flexibility. 
friends trust one another. Flexibility also rises because the affiliative leader doesn't impose unnecessary strictures on how employees get their work done. They give people the freedom to do their job in a way they think is most effective. There's some challenge with this in that some leaders are not in a position to let workers dictate how they want to do their job. It's very process driven or there's safety concerns which they need to be aware of. So again, it's about understanding the style versus understanding the situation that you're in. The affiliative leader is also very good at uh, giving feedback and that makes the affiliative leader's positive words all the more motivating because quite often they're not getting feedback either negative or, or positive. And this is one of the ones that, the styles that shouldn't be used alone. It should be used in conjunction with others because the authority leader's state of vision sets standards and let people know that their work is furthering the group's goal. And then you alternate that with the caring, nurturing approach of the affiliative leader and you've got a really powerful combination. So if you can, I do like that combo mix, which I think will certainly give you the result that you're looking for in terms of the authoritative, so painting the compelling picture, and then the affiliative, which is focusing on the people to deliver that. That's how you get transformational leadership. The next style is very much the democratic style. This is about getting people's buy-in. It's through this that the leader builds trust, respect, and commitment. By letting the, the, the team get involved in the decision makings process what that enables the the people in the team to feel is that that sense of team that sense of engagement that sense of buy-in they start to feel that they're valued and that their contribution is respected so again there's, there's a challenge here in that you don't want to always be having that level of uh, group input because sometimes it can lead to indecision or no decision so that's why it, it, you manage it you think about when's the right moment for it. Well, I think I think you can probably all think of a time where we just ended up having a talk fest when nothing actually got decided. And I think that's where leaders just need to walk that line carefully about when to use this style and when not to use this style. All right, so moving on to the pace setting style. And this is where one where I think you do need to, to have it in your skill set, but it is one that we recommend you use sparingly. So what happens here is that the leader sets extremely high performance standards and exemplifies them. They're always obsessed about doing things better and faster and he asks the same of everyone around him. They quickly pinpoint poor performance and demand more. And if they don't rise to the occasion, the, this type of leader generally replaces them with people who can. So you, you, you'd think on the surface that sometimes this would um, approach would improve results, but it doesn't always. What, what tends to happen is that the pace setting style destroys the climate because most employees feel overwhelmed by the pace setters demand for excellence and the morale drops. So guidelines for working may be clear in the leader's head, but they don't always state them clearly. Work becomes not a matter of doing one's best because they're always trying to second guess what they think the leader wants. And at the same time, people often feel that the pace setter doesn't trust them to work in their own way or take initiative. So this is where flexibility and responsibility evaporate, work becomes very task focused and it becomes routine. So in a sense, it becomes very, very, very boring. Pace setting style generally leader generally gives no feedback about how people are doing. And if the leader thinks people should leave, you know, people feel directionless, they're used to the experts setting the rules. 
And so you can imagine with that sort of leader, the you know, commitment from the workforce, from your team may dwindle. They may not feel as though they want to work for you anymore and it's goodbye. So you can see that that, that type of leadership and again, I'm, I'm always one for self-reflection. I think that on occasion that I personally have some, some challenges around here because I do like things done to a high standard. I do like things done very fast and it's one of those things where I recognize the impact around those in my team. So I'm going to encourage you to think about what's the impact of your leadership style on your team. So I know about this about myself. I've done a lot of work around it and it's one of the things which I'm, um, it's becoming a smaller and smaller and smaller part of, of, of what I do. So I do want you to think about these styles and how they relate to you and you know, there's no value in this podcast for you if you are not actually going to honestly self-reflect. If all you're doing is going to tell yourself, oh, no, I'm not this or I'm not that, don't know how much value there is. So finish my little rant and get back to uh, the final style, which is the coaching style. And this is interesting because a lot of leaders want to see themselves as coaches. They want to see themselves as leaders that can create future leaders. And I think coaching is, you know, it's a bit of a buzzword everywhere is a, is, there's a coach. There's a coach for this and there's a coach for that. So I think that it, it, people fo- are attracted to this, this, this type of leadership and it's where the coaching leaders always help employees identify their unique strengths and weaknesses. And what they do is they tie them to their personal and career aspirations. They, they always encourage their team to establish long-term development goals and they help them make a plan for attaining them. They get agreements with their employees about the role and responsibilities and how those development plans are actually going to come to fruition. Coaching leaders are very good at delegating and they give employees challenging assignments, even if it means the task won't be accomplished quickly. So in other words, these leaders are willing to put up with short-term failure if it furthers the long-term learning. So again, you can already see where there's a potential challenge here in terms of maybe based on the, the particular operations that you're looking after. So based on Goldman's researches, I found it really interesting that the coaching style is used least, least often. Many, many leaders said they, they didn't have time in this, this high pressure economy for the slow and tedious work of teaching people and helping them grow. So it's interesting because, you know, whilst this study was done towards now 18 years ago, I wonder whether that's still the case because there has been a lot of, a lot of change in the world of coaching and more and more leaders are aspiring to be that, that, that type of coach. It's a very powerful tool, so I would encourage you to think about how can you add it to your repertoire. So if you think about when this style might work best, it's when most uh, effective when people are on the receiving end are up for it, for want of a better phrase, that they're willing to be coached, that they're willing to hear feedback, that they see themselves as coachable. I think that's an important question to ask people. Are you coachable? Or are you someone that's so fixed in your own mindset that you're not prepared to hear what the other person thinks and you're not prepared to do anything about it. So it is is one which I think if you can really, really add to your repertoire, I think you're going to be in, in a much better position as a leader. And so that pretty much ends up or wraps up the, the six emotional leadership styles. And I think that what we discovered as we just walked through some of that content is that if you can adjust your style based on the situation, based on the person, you're going to be a better leader. 
it's it's most likely you'll have a natural tendency to lead to lean towards one or two of the particular styles and i think that the the big takeaway from me as i was recording this podcast for you is the combo so if you can aim to be that authoritative and the affiliative so if you can combine those two together that's going to make you a very compelling leader the sort of leader that people want to work for the sort of leader that people are going to go away and say, you've got to come and join this team because you know, I've got the leader. And so I think if you can start working on that combo, I think you'll be in a much better position. I'm also going to encourage you to think about and maybe talk about these leadership styles with your uh, peer group. So if you're listening and you've got a peer group of five other leaders, talk about it and, and ask them where do they think they fit? What situations do they exhibit different leadership styles? Do they even change? Or do they have one thing which become hell or high water? That's the approach they take. So I think it's a very powerful diagnostic in terms of understanding how we work together as leaders. And I think for you, if you take the ideas away, start to explore them a little bit further, do a little bit of honest self-reflection, turn the lens on yourself, you're going to be in a much better position as a leader. So I think that pretty much wraps up this content episode. I am going to finish up with just that little idea that one of the things we're we're really wanting to do is uh, subscribe so that way if you subscribe to the podcast you'll get the automatic updates every time that the episode we drop a new episode which is which is weekly i'm also going to ask for the reviews always like it when people take the time to give us a rating and put a review we are really trying to grow the awareness of the podcast so be fantastic if you could do that particularly for the the people who listen on their Apple iPhones or have iTunes accounts because obviously that's where the, the, the biggest audience tends to be. Until next time, happy listening and please make sure you stay tuned for the next few episodes because I've had the privilege of interviewing some, some really great women who have done some pretty amazing things. So it's going to be a, a nice little uh, group of women coming up over the next few episodes. So happy listening and see you next time. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.